Broadcasting live from the phx.fm studio in Phoenix, Arizona. It's time for Valley Business Radio, spotlighting the Valley's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hello and welcome to Valley Business Radio, where we tell the stories that traditional media tends to ignore and help connect you to the right people. I'm your host, Dr. Adrian McIntyre. I'm joined in the studio today by Amber Peachin and Reed Markell, partners in Amplitude Media and members of the coordinating team for PHX Startup Week. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Glad Hi. to be here. Glad you're here. Now, we got a lot of things we want to cover, but the very first thing I want to talk about is your company. Can you give us, Amber, an overview, an introduction to Amplitude Media? What kind of work do you do? What kind of folks do you serve? Yeah, we um, are a creative agency, so we build brands, websites, and big ideas. We like to work with all kinds of different companies because we like to dig in, learn new things, and um, get excited about new industries we don't know anything about yet and give that outside-inside perspective. Now, that's a really important distinction. Doing media and branding work for industries you don't know about, on the one hand, could be seen as a detriment because somebody might be looking for an industry expert, but I hear you suggesting it gives you some unique insights. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So what happens is um, when you're so deep inside of your own industry and your own business, it's hard to recognize that the things you're saying aren't understood clearly by the people who need your services. And so what we do is we like to jump in and um, well, first of all, we're just huge nerds. So we like to learn all kinds of things about all kinds of different industries. But then it gives us the ability to say, okay, so we just jumped in and learned these things about actuarial science. And as an actuary, you don't see the things that are interesting to other people. You see different things that are interesting to you, which is why you're an actuary. And so we can jump in and say, this is where the story is. And this is what why people need you and what they think is valuable and tell the story in a way that connects with people who don't have that knowledge that you have. I mean, it's a really important point. It's very similar to the kind of work we do here in the studio where I like to think nerding is our superpower. Um, and, and that is we get to ask those outside perspective questions that sometimes help people gain new insights about their own work and certainly talk about it in a new way. One of the biggest limitations when it comes to messaging and branding is speaking your own language rather than your audience's language. We see that with individual experts, large corporations. Uh, if, you're, if your speech is peppered with TLAs, that's three-letter acronyms. <laughs> see, we're nerding already. Right. Uh, you're, you're probably not reaching uh, the audience in the way that you might. Reed, what's your role? What do you love to do? Uh, how are you serving folks within that framework at Amplitude Media? I think it's just exploring um, and constantly trying to find new information um, and new ways that we can serve clients. Um, and so when I started with Amber and Amplitude Media, I had more of a communications and development background. Um, and since then, I've gotten more into the coding side of things with technology. Um, and so now building more websites um, and technological solutions for clients. See, this is the other thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is that it's one thing to have dialed in your messaging, your branding, kind of your communication strategy in the comfort of a conference room. It's another thing altogether to make that live out there in the world where it's touching the people who need to connect with your organization, with your company, who could benefit from your services, things of that nature. So there's always a bit of math and magic required to execute on, on modern day marketing. I'm doing a lot of the M's here. Modern day marketing equals math plus magic. Um, what's your sense of that having started in the communication side and, and shifting more and more into executing on how you make these things happen mm -hmm. on on the internet, uh, what have you learned? What's been what's new and interesting? What's challenging? 
The biggest challenge I think we have is a fear of getting it right. Um, where it's it's the opposite, right? Where it's like usually it's this, this fear of getting it wrong. Um, where it's like you you you're actively working towards um, finding the solution um, and putting something out there into the world to to test to see if it works um, is is scary. Um, and so it's 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 changing how we think about it, um, which is something that we love to do um, at Amplitude Media, um, where normally the expectation is that where I'm afraid of the result that I'm going to get. Um, we we encourage that. We want to see that. We like that information. Um, so things like that. Now, you mentioned, Amber, actuarial services. And I got to be honest with you, that's not the first kind of professional services firm that comes to mind when I think of branding and marketing, um, but probably because there's already pre-existing stereotypes about that. But before we, we address the question of, of how you deal with technical uh, industries, what are some of the types of companies or organizations that you find you do your best work with? What Who makes up your kind of favorite client roster in terms now, obviously, we want to name names and leave folks out, but what types of companies, organizations do you feel you're doing the best work with? So um, it really is those companies that have highly technical or traditionally considered boring or dry industries that we do like to jump in and think differently and think creatively about. So I mentioned actuarial sciences because um, we have an actuarial consulting firm that's one of our clients. Um and I, actually, he's our longest term client. And so it, it is like there's that's that. And just to use him as an example um, is that uh, perception of actuaries or people who didn't have enough personalities to be accountants. Right. Um, and so or, or caretakers. Right. And so they um, but our actuary, who is the head of his firm, is very, he's actually very fun and very engaging. And so one of the things we've done is say, what is the most interesting thing about actuarial science? And most people are like, well, first you have to tell me what an actuary is. And it's all statistics and calculus and it's forecasting models for the future, whether it's for business success, um, life expectancy, it's calculating risk forecasted, you know, a thousand years into the future, essentially to set those rates. And so for insurance companies and other things, but um, the most interesting thing is I th numbers tell stories. Well, I think everything tells stories, just full disclosure, but numbers tell stories about people and things and what's interesting. And so, um, and actual science is a science has been around for a long time. has been done exactly the same way for a long time and, um, is very traditional and our, um, client is thinking differently about it, which is what is exciting and fun for us is thinking differently about things, but he's approaching his industry and he's saying, there's, here's the way we've always done it, but the world is changing so fast and we have so much more data than we've ever had before. And we have access to models in ways that we've never had before because of the power of computing. And so how can we message that and tell a story? And um, one, of the, one of the ways we've done is by diving into the power of diversity of thought, actually diving into different models um, for coming up with solutions. One of them being um, the, uh, and now I'm going to forget the name, um, Delphi uh, model? Yes, thank you. The Delphi model. So it's taking taking the, the information um, of lots of different experts in the field and bringing that together until they can come to a consensus of what's probably going to happen. And what's surprising is how accurate that actually is and has been proven as being accurate. So it's taking all of these different ways of telling the story and talking about what it is, the numbers, um, and then making it interesting and engaging for people. And we've done that through 
we built a racetrack. We've done um, different models that way with conference attendees. We have them race remote control cars at really stuffy, boring insurance conferences and found a lot of success with that. So it's those kinds of things. So um, actuaries, accountants, lawyers, doctors, um, worked with a lot of companies like that. But we've also worked with um, um, a baseball bat manufacturer here in town, which is a little bit more fun than those things, but it's still changing their messaging, which you don't think it'd be hard to change messaging about baseball to be fun. But um, it was switching that model. Um, and Rick can probably tell you a bit more about that in a more engaging way. But the way we engaged their audience and their listeners there was by changing changing the way we told the story. Well, I, I can't imagine anything more fun than racing remote controlled cars at an insurance conference. That sounds pretty out on the edge uh, to me. But Reed, what's the what's the story with the baseball bats? Like why, what needed to change? What did you guys work on? What was the outcome? Can you use that as a case study? Uh, because wh- why I'm asking you this is, most people think that when they work with a branding or marketing firm that they're getting a logo and some colors and you know, like a brand book or something. And it sounds to me like you're deep into the execution of the way these brands show up in the world beyond just the, the digital assets. Uh, so baseball bats, is there something you can s- speak to there that kind of reveals what's unique about the way you work with companies? Yeah, I think um, when we started working with this client, it was really diving into um, and, and granted, they were a 25-year-old company um, that just transitioned from new to no ownership. Um, and so they don't really have – they had brand recognition as far as their name goes. Um, but as far as what they stood for um, and the story behind why they existed uh, wasn't there. Um, and so we worked with um, their team to develop a story um, and then furthermore a message that would resonate with their audience. Um, similar to that of like when you envision Nike – um, or any of these other big sports companies, um, they're, they're messaging and communicating uh, a feeling of where you're going to go um, and what you're doing. So like with Nike and just do it, right? It's active. Um, it makes you feel involved. Um, but then building a sense of community and connection. Um, and so that understanding the athlete that we were selling to um, and the type of individual that it was, um, where it's the type of person that wakes up in the morning um, to, to get in an early workout, the type of person um, that's staying later to, to get extra hacks in the cage, that's, that's our person. Um, and once we understood who it is that we're selling to, the athlete and, and the family that's around that, um, we could craft a story and a message that would resonate. It's striking to me how many people don't realize that the realm of storytelling can go in so many infinite directions because human mind and our interpretive machinery will take us there. But whether it's talking about origin stories of the company, you know, Nike, the, the you know, putting the waffle tread on with an iron, you know, going back to the early days, narrating the future, um, you know, a kind of aspirational brand is often telling the story that the customer wants to live if they get the product or get the service, they want, they're imagining themselves in that environment or speaks to something about the present. You know, I'm the kind of person who gets up early and puts in the time and does such and such. You know, there's kind of a, a connection that we all need to have before we buy much of anything, whether it's uh, actuar- actuarial expertise or baseball bats. Uh, and and that brings us to storytelling. And, you know, one of the things that I often say as someone who's hired as a storytelling consultant or to lead workshops and trainings is that you have to understand, first of all, what it is you want from your storytellers 
because there's so many of us who provide so many incredible and valuable services and we use a lot of the same words, but we're not always doing the same thing. We're not always looking in the same place or, or going to work on the same aspect of a brand or of a leadership style or of a culture within, a, within an organization. Amber, what does storytelling mean to you and how do you do that at Amplitude? Um, storytelling to me is, it's really all about emotion. It's telling, it's using the right words and the right examples to get people to feel the thing that you need them to feel to engage with their surfaces. And um, I recently did a presentation uh, for a group here in town and it was the, the, the power of your brand's origin story. And um, I think that everything can always, should always be more fun and more interesting. Um, and so it was taking that, the storytelling perspective for brands and for origin stories in a way that people usually talk about it um, is very uh, academic. This is a this is a typical model, and this is the hero's journey, and this is where your brand falls in the hero's journey. And then you know everybody's tuned out five minutes later because can, can we just before. pause and talk about this for a second? Because I've been saying for years, and I want to use every opportunity to say it that the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's framework for integrating world mythology and literature, is brilliant if that's what you're trying to do. It's a terrible framework to use for business storytelling or for personal leadership brand storytelling. Um, th- and you. Your, your suggestion is, you know, 18 parts and a giant circle is putting people to sleep in five minutes, but you may have a different point of view. What, the hero's journey. Useful? Not useful? What are your thoughts? Well, and I'm just going to like, spoiler alert, if you ever hear me give this presentation. Um, so I use I use the example of every hero in the Marvel universe and the DC universe and every universe ever. Every hero has a backstory. Why they are who they are, why they're what they're trying to accomplish. You would learn all of those things. Yeah. And that radioactive spider, Peter Parker develops powers, becomes Spider-Man, that kind of thing. Exactly. Green Lantern finds a ring, gets these superpowers, gets to do all of these things, and he's Ryan Reynolds, so we love him anyway. Superman's parents put him in a little ship, send him down, raised by farmers. Mm-hmm. And he has only one one thing that like can destroy him and his kryptonite, because that's the only thing that makes him human on his own planet. All of those things, right? So often what happens is brands are telling the story where they are Superman, they are Green Lantern, they are Spider-Man. Um, the plot twist is, is that you're the ring, you're the spider, you're the planet that he came from, you're not the hero. And that's where I think the hero's journey is really interesting and valuable for companies to think of, is that they need to make their customer the hero. Make the story about them, make them the winner, make them save the day. You're giving them the ability to do that with the product service things that you are offering them, but you're not the spotlight. And that's what's so, so hard for so many brands to recognize. And that's actually like that with the baseball bat company where we came back to where it was like, um, we swapped the messaging where it was like, we have the, the strongest bat in the world and our bat doesn't break. And and, and it's you know, it's a composite wood bat. So it's a com- it's a combination of like the science and technology and then traditional wood. So it could be used in wood bat tournaments largely, um, which is a whole nother realm of information that we learned about is wood bats and tournaments and what all of the things. But they can be used in all of these different tournaments. And um, But they also had a perception problem as the brand themselves, where it was like the previous owner wasn't a very nice guy. Um, and he really muscled his way into these things and a lot of lawsuits and a lot of things like that. And so our new the new owner is uh, one of the nicest humans on the planet, former White Sox player, lives, breathes this industry. And so it's like bringing this in where it's like, it's not that we have the strongest bat in the world. So you're the strongest player in the world and the strongest player needs the strongest bat. And we have that for you. 
shifting the focus. The bat's not the hero. You're the, the hero. The player is the hero. If we if if you have the right tools. And and of course every player every every character in in the the mythical realms you were mentioning lives in a universe. And so in the universe of baseball, there's good and evil, there's the 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 conflict that shows up at the plate, the showdown, the inspiration, and really shifting the story from us, 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 our production, our materials, our science, our, our everything to the scene where the actual play happens. Just that one little move would make such a difference if people would spend less time talking about them or their product or their service and the scene where someone can engage in. It, and the other thing is, I'm going to insert some of my good, stuff. Good. It doesn't have to be epic. The best storytelling connects with people because they can relate to it. It's my most people exactly. Micro storytelling is the unexplored frontier in this. So many people make it easy for themselves as consultants by using templates in which you're essentially telling everyone to play out the same set of structures over and over. Some of these are valid and valuable. They can especially get companies to think in new ways. Companies like templates, they buy templates. Um, they buy consultants who have templates. Mm -hmm. But when it comes down to the individual human storytelling side of it, very rarely will a script accomplish what needs to happen. And I would say too, um, it's for so long that's worked for companies, the bigger the world of information gets, the bigger um, the bigger and the more data we have, what really happens is everything becomes smaller because we know more about every single person out there. And every single person out there knows that and expects that. So if that if you aren't presenting a case study for me, then you clearly don't understand me as best as, the, as, as well as the next guy who actually does. And that's where it's been. Um, we've been working with a client lately that's a there are 25, I don't, that's probably the wrong, it's, it's, no, they've been around since 1985. That's a long time. My math, I'm not the math part of this equation, but they're, Reed is the minister of magic, so he's the magic part, so I don't know where I fit in. 33 <laughs> something years. Yeah. They've been around for a long time. They, they're they the OGs of like internet technology, and they've developed this platform for insurance, finance, and investment firms. Um, speaking of things that are boring that we write about and talk about, but it's they've been around forever. They're a public company. They've recently gotten um, acquired by an by a, um, investment firm who's looking to change things up. And it's they for so long have been, here are the features of our product, here are all the things, and they've reached this like stall point. And so coming in and being in, their, their marketing person knows this, but inside of the company, it's hard to be heard. And so they brought in outside consultants because our perspective is seen as new and groundbreaking. And um, but then it's but then it's also that conversation. To, it's terrifying. It's terrifying for these old established companies to say, wait, you want me to talk about the one person, but we want hundreds of people and thousands of people to use this product. One person isn't the right person. And then the, and then it's the conversation of, well, we're not selling to customers, we're selling to businesses. So it's the B2B versus B2C conversation. And this is where the real like mind twist has come with these companies is that B2B is actually has to be more personal, more individualistic than B2C because B2B, you have to be, you have to sell to 10 people or 20 people or 50 people who are making this large decision. And it is very individual because if you as a, if you as the, you know, the, the CTO who's choosing the, or the CMO or whatever, you're choosing this technology or this service or this product or this company for your business. And it's a usually multi-million dollar investment. And if you make the wrong decision, it's your job on the line. 
which is your livelihood and your reputation and your family, and it breaks all of that down. So you're selling to lots of individuals who are making lots of big decisions. And so then it's even more important to connect in one-on-one and make those connections. Unless your company has some sort of an automation where the robots make buying decisions without any people involved, everything you're doing uh, is human to human. And even more importantly, um, especially when there's a lot of depersonalization that often happens in the corporate environment, there's a lot of forward-thinking companies that are trying to work against that. There's never been a better time to make real human connections, build a real meaningful relationship, uh, and and connect with the people who your solution can serve. And that's where um, the importance of technology and the right technology and doing it right is so important. And that's where like what Reed works on in our company really makes a difference because it's that human-to-human connection and the humans that are able to, um, the human thinking that goes into the technology portion of it. And so you can tell any story you want, but if nobody sees it, it doesn't matter. And that's where it's like, um, but the power of, you can't just throw up an old website anymore. You have to do it in a way that's technologically advanced because of that, because of the way that the information works in our world currently. And that's some of the stuff Reed's been working on the last six months has been, it blows my mind how fast that knowledge gets acquired and used, <laughs> but it's really important. So I, I don't know if you want to talk about that. Well, I'm or... curious about this because one of the things we're very interested in around here is the way in which uh, you know, digital technology is evo- is evolving everything that we do. And while there are many companies out there that are still operating in like a, you know, 1990-something GeoCities type <laughs> environment, Angel Fire, whatever, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of new things that are coming. Reed, what are some of the innovations on the tech side that you think are interesting or compelling that you've been looking at, that you've been implementing? What, what should folks be paying attention to in terms of trends or or new requirements, you know, 10 years ago, it was, you know, set up a website. Uh, And now where we are is so much more multifaceted than that. I think that as uh, business needs have developed, um, it's it's just created uh, new new problems um, that these new technologies that are coming out are solving. So like uh, the thing I've been playing around with now for the last year is a technology called Gatsby, um, which uses uh, React, which was created by Facebook, um, to essentially uh, convert a, uh, a dynamic web application is what you're building within Gatsby into just standard HTML files. Um, so what the internet kind of was built on, right, in terms of old websites like GeoCities and things like that. Um, so what's just HTML, CSS, and some JavaScript. Um, and, the, and the reason why they do that is because it makes it really fast. And the benefit that you get from using it um, is that you get the added benefits of the the dynamic pieces. So it's like if you have, say, um, uh, the member ability or you have like a social media component to your, your website um, where people can you know, add people and so on and so forth, say something similar to that of like LinkedIn, um, you can use this technology to achieve that. Um, and it will be fast um, and user-friendly um, as long as you're, you're thinking through these things when you're designing the application or the website itself um, to make sure that you're meeting those needs. There was a time when, especially for small businesses, 
their web presence was a bolted together collection of WordPress plugins mm -hmm. and uh, various things, linking to external services and trying to figure out payment processing was an issue for a long time, still can have some complexity to it. Uh, and, you know, oh, you need a membership area, secure membership site. Well, then we got to go find some sort of, uh, you know, access control plugin, maybe an LMS. Oh, you want to have courses and modules, lessons and things, either for your customers or for a knowledge base or whatever. And you, oh, a help desk. And now we got to go and get that all. So we're, mm -hmm. we're in an interesting time when we're still very much in a modular world where you can select the best of this, the best of that, and kind of bolt it all together. But there's some new things that are emerging that are much more integrated. Yeah, 100%. I think, um, I think the web is changing and evolving. And I think what's coming right now is that next stage in this evolution. And we've had um, things from up top, say from like Google, um, where they've been throwing out kind of like these indicators. And usually those are the signs that we see, um, especially someone like just being a nerd that's heavily <laughs> into the internet, um, where it's like, hey, we're going to start downranking you based on page speed um, and user experience and how you even like render your JavaScript and CSS. Um, the, we're going to start noticing those things. So if you go and you do the insight tool on Google, um, and see what your score's at, Google takes that into account when they're looking at your information. So you can have some of the best articles, um, resources in the world, but if it's a terrible user experience, Google, the whole their whole goal is to make sure that I'm, I'm providing one link and the user's getting what they want and then they're done. If they come back to Google, Google has failed. And so if there are constantly people going to your site and coming back from that, back to Google, you're not doing your job. Yeah. And Google yeah. says, because of that, we're going to downplay you. No, you said something really important, and it mm -hmm. went by fast uh, at the speed of broadband. So I just really want to <laughs> underline this. Yeah. Google knows if they're if you're clicking a link in the search results, going to the site, and you're back again mm -hmm. in in you know less than five seconds, mm -hmm. whatever that site was, this is a negative uh, signal. Correct. Uh, for that site. And, you know, the, the days when we would sit and watch a, a JPEG image load line by line, which I remember, I'm older than you, so I remember dial-up. <laughs> I, re I remember our first, when we got a 1200K modem and we were like, oh my goodness, or 1200 baud rather, no K. Uh, the the leap from 300 to 1200 to 56k was like mind boggling. But now we've got broadband access in our smartphones in the larger cities anyway. Rural broadband access, something we're very concerned about and, and advocating for here in this studio. But I digress. Anyway, uh, what what the point? What I'm getting here, and I love this, is that it really requires an integration of disciplines in order to execute on contemporary digital projects. It's not enough to have a designer who can build something pretty. Uh, in, in, in Photoshop, uh, if you can't find ways to make that pretty thing available everywhere and fast uh, and, and, you know, on the sizes of the various screens it needs to be on uh, and integrating with whatever databases or other backend things are, are running, which means that you're more than just a, um, a, a marketing shop. You're a technology shop as well. How do you communicate this to your own prospects? What's the way in which, circling back to how I asked you to introduce yourselves, we've just laid a whole lot of things out on the table. If you're meeting with somebody who's a potential client, how do you tell them what you do in a way that communicates the complexity of what we just discussed? Well, what it is, is we, we talk a lot about how important it is to know who you are um, so you can communicate that to your potential customers and partners and people you want to work with. But then at the same time, um, in a way that they hear and understand you, and can grasp what that is, 
but then to be in the right places. And so uh, one of the things I would say is, you know, if you tell a story in the forest that nobody's around to hear it, did you really tell a story? Um, did you, can you sell a product if nobody can find you or if they do find you, your page isn't fast enough? And when we say fast enough, this is the thing that kind of blows my mind is you have less than a tenth of a second to make an impact on somebody on the Internet. Like that's the, the latest research out there. So if you're if the first thing that loads on your page isn't something that tells them how you're going to change their life, not tells them the product you're selling, not tells them where you work and what your hours are and who you are as a person and why you're important and why they should listen to you. They don't care about any of those things. How are you going to change their life? That should be the first thing that they see on the, on your site. That should be and it should load fast enough that it's like they ask the question, they push search and then it and then you appear. And that's how fast it needs to happen. So um, it's kind of, we tell the story where it's like, um, we don't like to use the word just in our company. Um, And people like to bucket people into individual buckets. Um, It helps us understand things better is how evolution works. We can, you know, this thing that's put together that looks in this shape and it has about this size as a couch. And I don't have to reevaluate what this thing is every time I see a couch. I just know. And so it's like, oh, you're a marketing person. Oh, you're a writer. Oh, you're a developer. Or you're this, you're this, you're this. The value and and uh, big companies are still struggling with this because they like to bucket people too, and we're a small, nimble people shop. and And what that means is that you know I'm a writer, but I'm also I'm a writer who writes copy, who writes website words, who writes who tells long form stories and short form stories. I do it on, um, I do it out loud. I do it. On, on paper, I do it through words, through images and how the images interact with each other. Reed is also a writer and a creative thinker. Um, he is a little bit more technical than I am. And I say that he's a lot more technical than I am, but he's not, his job isn't just technology. My job isn't just writing. We both are in technology. We're both in writing. We're both in, we're both in graphic design. We're both in storytelling and storytelling is why I like to use the word like my title is storyteller is that it incorporates all of those things together. Um, it's what the story is, who you're, who's listening to it, where they're going to see it, how it's going to resonate with them, um, all of those things packaged together. So it's like, um, and that's why we say we're a creative agency. We're not a marketing agency. We're not a development shop. We're a creative agency because we can take a picture. We can take. We get to know a company and a person well enough to say, you know, your audience, you need a website because everybody needs a website. To be a legitimate business in 2020, you have to have a website. Um, It's going to be a sense of validation that you're a legitimate business more than it might be a driver for your business. Here's some ways we're going to implement and try and do new new things and things like that. But your value here is in face-to-face relationships and building those with customers. How can we speed that up? And then it's like, we took look at the picture and we say, our best bet to bring you more customers is to tell your story at this conference or this event or on this show or in this way. Where another person might be like, your best thing, we can drive so many customers to you if we build you the fastest, best, most sophisticated website with the funnel and all of the things that everybody else is telling you to do. What happens is if you're going to build a website or develop a project, um, you need to have 15 people in a room to do it well. A, a lot of times. Because you have you have a developer and you have a front-end developer and you have a coder and then you have your UX UI team and then you have a copywriter and then you have your branding expert and then you have your industry expert. You have all of these different things. And then what we like to do is work with we like to work with companies very closely to do build all of those things as tightly as we can because then 
we have the crossover expertise. And so I'm not just a writer. I'm not just a brander. I'm not just a any of those things. Reed's not just a developer. He's not just a writer. He's not just a marketer. We're a, it's a lot more complex than that. I think to build on that is um, it's we build brand experiences, right? And so it's like whether that's through visual representation, whether that's through an advertisement, whether that's through a commercial, um, it's a brand experience. Um, and we make sure that, that there's a thorough line with that that you can follow all the way through as a user or as a potential customer or as a current customer um, where I can make those connections. It's the reason why big, successful brands, no matter where you see it, you notice it. You don't even – it gets to the point where you don't even need additional things to go with it. You already know it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's down to a, a, a little tiny symbol. Yeah. Right? A little swoosh. A little yeah. Swoosh. Well, and that's where it's like the design aspect of it. Like people think of design thinking and they think of um, usually in very narrow ways. When you say you're a designer, they think of, um, you know, you're in Photoshop or you're in in design or whatever. And really when you're designing experiences, it's it's not, it's, it's how you think about it. It's the creative process. Um, and it's the creative process of getting everybody in the room to think creatively. And that's actually one of our favorite things to do is we have these abstract conversations um, as we go through our branding process with people because most people aren't used to thinking about their brand in different ways. So we might throw up a picture of a pair of hiking boots, um, a nine-inch heel with spikes on the ends, and a, you know, a group of flip-flops and say, which one of these best represents your business and why? And then they're thinking about their business in a completely different way but it's a fun, engaging experience. And that for me is like the funnest part of the, like starting the process is getting in there and being like, how can we get you to think differently about your business so we can help you get there? Yeah, the midwifery that's required to, to bring those things out into the world. Now, you're not just partners in a creative shop at Amplitude Media. You're also members of the organizing team for PHX Startup Week. And I'd love to just get, I know we're going to do a lot more about this as we get closer uh, to the event in February, but I'd love to get a preview. Of what, what is PHX Startup Week? How did it start? Where is it at now? Uh, give us an introduction uh, to this, one of the Valley's most significant events in the entrepreneurial ecosystem. It's definitely the largest in the ecosystem, actually, here in the Valley. Um, and that's one of the things that has some power behind it, is it's the largest entrepreneurial event in the Valley. But it's been around for, I think we're on year six. Um, and Reed and I got involved two years ago, actually, um, on the organizing team. And there was a shift in, um, in the organizing structure in general. There was a shift in who was in charge of organizing the event. Now, it's owned by um, Techstars, which is why we have the name Startup Week. But um, the shift actually came when we realized that the Startup Week didn't, the, the way that's traditionally understood to be a startup didn't really fit us here in Phoenix. Um, and the greater Phoenix area. So we, first of all, we we took the word, we said PHX versus Phoenix to include the greater the greater area, not just the incorporated city from a mental place. And then we took the word startup and we said, what does this mean? And who is this event for? And we decided to expand it and say, you know, here here in our valley, it's not about who's not welcome. And that's what the, the startup community kind of can feel like sometimes you you have to be a tech company you have to be this young you have to have this much investment you have to have all of these different things in order to fit the niche and the narrow narrow definition and we decided that um our valley i mean the desert's a rough place you can't survive by yourself 
And so we took it and we said, you know, this is about the entrepreneurship ecosystem and building that, working together. And so it's we really wanted to build a bigger table and invite more people. Um, the power of having more conversations in a room is um, hard to understate. And the more ideas, the more backgrounds, the more industries, the more um, the more people you can get in a room. So if you if you go to a conference and um, everyone there is white and male and middle upper class, um, there's a lot of people who don't feel welcome there. And we wanted to change that. So the event itself is six days of education, community support. Uh, it's a place to go to meet people, to learn. But really what I'm hearing you speak to is the emphasis on community, really building a sense of belonging, participation in something bigger than ourselves, but that includes what we're doing. So it really raises the question, if this is an entrepreneurship focused event, there might be some misconceptions just based on that word. Uh, Reed, what is an entrepreneur? Who's included in the definition that you're operating with uh, collectively at PHX Startup Week? I think um, an entrepreneur is somebody that solves problems, right? I think we can all agree to that. And I think that um, any human being is a problem solver, um, whether it's figuring out where you left your keys <laughs> in the morning, you're, you're, you're backtracking, right, to solve that problem, to figure out how to get there. And so it's, it's redefining that, um, where I think traditionally we kind of have this misconception over an entrepreneur or somebody that has, say, VC funding or a startup, et cetera, where it's like that it doesn't just stop there. There's also people that are within organizations, um, entrepreneurs, or, or say, uh, leadership within an organization that wants to think more entrepreneurially. Um, and so on and so forth. Or it's the, um, say, the mom that wants to start a business or um, the individuals that at a company that wants to start a business and leave and so on and so forth. And so it's like, it feels, it feels like it's everybody. Um, and I think everybody can, um, say, Im improve their problem-solving skills. Um, and so for six days, we want to get together and have conversations around people that have solved problems, identified, say, new solutions, innovative ways um, to face the challenges that they're currently facing. There's a theme every year. What's the theme for 2020? So the theme for 2020 is Connect PHX. Um, so last year we started with Thrive PHX um, and kind of we want to keep that as a banner heading because it's the vision. It's the vision of what we're trying to do. We're trying to build a, uh, we're trying to build a community that thrives. Um, the Connect PHX is how we plan to do it. And that's what's really exciting about this year. And um, moving forward, we're going to be talking about this more on this on this show. But um, our goal is to f connect PHX entrepreneurs um, to a community. Like you said, we want to build that community. But that community um, cultivates and empowers the entrepreneurial spirit. And um, we do that through not just not just Startup Week, not just those six days, but also through um, the community that connects beyond that and the power that that brings. But when you come to when you come to Startup Week, um, we want to connect you with um, we want to connect you with resources, education, support, and we want to do that with it's one conversation at a time. You might attend one event, you might, and that's what I want to say too. Like if if you can only come to one day of Startup Week, then it's worth it. If you can only come to one talk, if you come and look at things and you see one thing that feels like it's going to resonate with you, um, then you should come because it's worth it. But it's it's not just who you're listening to speak. It's the person you're sitting next to. What do they have to offer you? 
Um, what do you have to offer them? It's really the better way to take that. But it's going and having conversations and meeting people. And um, that's last year, the takeaway, the comment I heard most often was, it just feels so different. It feels different than other, other years, I think, was one of the things. It also feels different than other entrepreneurship events in the Valley. Um, and or, not, or even business networking events more generally, right. of yes. which there are many. Yes. And that, I think that's one of the, the cores of the Startup Week, too, is it's built by the community for the community. There's no one business that um, is banner heading it and spearheading this to in order for their business to be the business that's recognized as owning, running, being Phoenix Startup Week. Um, instead, it's like it's we're a core org team of, I think, we're 30 eight or 39 people this year. That's a big organizing team. Um, and then every speaker is a volunteer. Um, all We have a team of volunteers that run all six days of events beyond the core org team. Like there's a lot of, it's a community event run by community people. And the byproduct, and it's one of those things when you go to networking events and I personally think they're the worst and I love humans and I love networking, but networking events where you're being networked is painful. And it doesn't work. Like nobody connects that way. Yeah, people. I mean, and just to summarize, I, I go to a lot. And if you're listening to this and you're wondering if I'm talking about your event, I might be. Uh, but, but what I've found is, in general, all the organizers really have their hearts in the right place. They are serving the community. And what's not always clear to people participating is that the best way to show up at any event is not as if it were a customer acquisition engine, but as a relationship building exercise. Because the more people you meet and the more people you serve, the the more you've established that reputation that gets people coming to you with business yep. rather than having to claw it out of everybody as you fling your business cards left, right, and center like some sort of uh, ninja throwing, ninja star throwing, you know, mm-hmm. insurance person uh, on on a Mountain Dew. It's, I, I'm, am I painting a vivid enough image of <laughs> I think we all know that guy. We've, yeah. all, we've all been there. We've all been the person that somebody walks up to you and they interrupt the conversation you're currently engaged in to like and disrupts you from the person you're actually engaging and connecting with to shake your hand, tell you who they are, why they're important, give you their business card, ask you what you do, and then you can see the light in their eyes die. They're like, well, I don't need you. And they walk away. And so the goal is, I'm always like, um, my my position is always the more you give, the more you get as a byproduct, the more, and it's like you said, when you serve people. And so it's having that conversation where you connect with somebody. And I mean, there's a very secret formula to doing that well. And it's um, one that I guess I'll share on the air, but it's to ask them a lot of questions about themselves. And then you are the most important person in their life because you let them talk about their most important topic, which is themselves. Absolutely. I have a workshop I teach on the six sizzling sound bites Mm -hmm. that every person in business needs to have. But the real punchline at the end of the workshop is that by understanding these six things, you're actually going to now use that as a rubric for asking questions of other people uh, and and try to be in conversations where you say as little as possible about your six things and learning as more as much as you can uh, about about others. You'll be the most interesting person in the room if you are the most interested yes. in other people. Be interesting and interested. Yes. Now, I, we've gotten us, I've, I've gotten us off topic here. So PHX Startup Week is a community organized and community run event. There are many different ways people can participate. What are some of them? How can folks get involved? 
the call for speakers actually ended last night. So um, they can apply for 2021 as a speaker um, as soon as that opens. If you want to get involved, we want to hear what you have to say. Um, actually, is probably a great place to start. So follow us on all of the social medias. You can go to um, phxstartupweek.com um, to check out, to buy your tickets, to register the, for the event and to come and participate. You can also register to volunteer. Um, we love, and I'm just going to say this, like our volunteer team is the best volunteer team out there. And we have people that um, just like to volunteer for events and that's why they got involved in uh, these persons being um, Forbes Shannon and now he runs our volunteer team. Um, and just working with him for a day is a reward in and of itself. But it's really like it's if you want to feel like a part of the community, um, besides just coming, coming is great. We'd love it. Everybody should get a ticket and attend. Um Lunch is included in the ticket price, which is a deal in and of itself. But um, talk to people, show up and have conversations and meet people. Um, but the best way to get engaged is to volunteer and be part of the team. Um, and the, you know, you can volunteer to be on the volunteer team this year. You can volunteer to be on the core organizing team next year. But also our goal is to make sure we're hearing from lots and lots of people. Um, the, the power of having lots of voices in the conversation um, is an important one. And so if you don't feel like, if you feel like I'm an entrepreneur, but you know, this doesn't represent me or my community or my business or my industry. Um, we actually want to hear that. We actually want that feedback. When you say, you know, I don't feel like I'm welcome here because when I look on your website, I don't see the services I need. Um, I don't see people who look like me. I don't see my industry being represented. Um, I, we can't get better unless we know. And we're doing our best. We are. Um, we're, we're trying, con actively trying all the time to be more inclusive, which is actually the real secret is we want you to feel like you're part of the team and you feel like you belong here. If you don't feel like that, then give us that feedback. And you can do that um, through messaging on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, sending us an email, calling me personally and having a conversation. I'll have that conversation, you know. Yeah. One of the things we're going to do is support this initiative by running a mini series called Connect PHX, in which uh, you'll be working with us to bring in voices from throughout the Valley that are not just diverse in their origin, skin tone, uh, accent, things of that nature, sort of what people typically think they mean when they're talking about diversity, but diversity in terms of the type of work they do, the frameworks, the mental kind of habits, the different ways of being and acting and, and executing on things in the world. We're going to get together a whole series of folks to talk about resources that are not widely known, that more people should be aware of, regardless of what type of business. This is not just about tech. We've established that. This is not just about startups in the sense of, you know, it's like six white guys in a foosball table. Um, nothing, nothing is anything wrong with that, but, we, but there's so much more that's happening here that is interesting and important and deserves to be recognized, deserves to be supported, and that many of us could benefit from if only we knew that it was there. I think that's where the interesting conversations happen and the interesting connections are made um, when it's something that's completely out of your norm. Um, I'm trying to remember the uh, the musician that said this, but he's a electronics uh, musician. And he said that, um, w what would you want, like if a kid was going to get into like EDM, so electronic dance music, how, speaking of TLAs, um, <laughs> what would you recommend? And he was like, well, 
honestly, he's like, I would prefer if somebody learned a different type of music and then came to EDM later. He's like somebody that goes and say, trains professionally within polka music, for example, and then comes to EDM is going to have a very unique and different sound um, than say, if you learn traditional EDM, it's going to sound like most other things, right? And so it's like that difference um, and connection that comes in that creates something unique and magical. Well, and it's how humans have always done it. In fact, it's how the entire natural world has always done it. Cross-pollination uh, is is such a central part of what makes gene pools more robust. It's not always pollen. Mm-hmm. I know I'm mixing metaphors here. <laughs> My geneticist <laughs> friends are listening to this, slapping their heads, going, "You're obviously you're obviously not a biologist." Um, but you know, it, when things get too uh, same, too similar, they become more vulnerable. And I, and I wish we embraced this concept more as human beings. We are one single species on this planet. Uh, And yet within that species, there's an incredible amount of difference. Some of that difference is more significant than others. Some of it can benefit us more than others. We've obsessed a lot about differences in pigmentation, for example. And by we, I mean those of us who have benefited through privilege by being a part of the system that was rigged in our favor. What 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 we're really looking toward here is finding ways in which we can all learn together, grow together, and flourish together. Mm-hmm. So thrive yeah. is the goal. Right. Thriving is and the goal. And connect is how we're going to get there. Yeah, we're going to by connecting people to resources and um resources education, ideas, people. Um and then I uh and having helping us all think differently about the business community itself. Um I one of my favorite one of my favorite stories about how Connecting different ideas and different industries and backgrounds is um, actually comes from. We work with a nonprofit um, named Heart, it's called Heart Effect, um, and got involved because I went to a Creative Mornings event and I heard this story of um, their lead research scientist at the time. He's now moved on to another hospital, but he was um, in school at ASU and he was studying graphics and animation, and he wanted to go work for Disney or Pixar or make superhero movies. Um, cartoons. And um, he had reached this point in his life where he's like, you know, I I want to make a difference. I don't know if this is how I do it. But he was pretty close to graduation. And so he was just going to graduate. And this doctor from Phoenix Children's Hospital came into his class, his 3D modeling class, and he said, I need people who think like artists who can also learn to be engineers. And I need you to come save children. And he's like, hmm, maybe that's me. Turns out it was. Um, But he wanted somebody who had the artistic background and brain. And then he went and got a master's degree in bioengineering, biomechanical engineering. And then he created, like, he runs this lab, ran this lab at Phoenix Children's Hospital where they, um, using science and technology and also arts and and graphics and motion um, to build um, their 3D models um, exact repli- replicas, patient-specific models of hearts of newborn babies with congenital heart defects. Um, and if you think about trying to model a heart that's moving because it's constantly beating and moving, so you have to take that into account and creating a, a patient-specific model. So if you think about it, like if you look at your hand and you look at your friend's hand, you both have hands and they both have the same structure, but they're slightly different. Now imagine that it's a heart and as complex as a heart with all of the the valves and the in the um, the arteries and the veins and all of the different things in there and the different the different chambers, and um, you think of that even if it's a healthy heart, it's going to be slightly different. And then you take that heart and you give it a congenital heart defect, so a heart defect that's been formed during during pregnancy, um, and you add that complexity to it. But then you make it the size of a walnut, 
and a lot of these babies are born um, and they have to have surgery within 48 hours of birth in order to live. And so these doctors, these surgeons um, have to be able to go in and figure out where all of the things are when they're not where they're supposed to be using flat models before MRI images and ultrasound images and things like that. And so what they do is that before the baby's even born, they have this physical heart they can hand to the doctor and they can plan the surgery in advance is what happens. And it gives them this ability to save 20, 30 minutes on the operating table for these babies, which saves lives, saves money, saves like all, all of the complications that come with it. And what happens is it's this, it's this convergence of art and design and technology and health and medicine. And what results is like you're saving lives and you're helping families. And so it's like you're taking all of these different areas and arenas and thoughts and bringing them together into something beautiful. This is changing lives. And that's what can happen when you think about like, I'm in this industry, but if I learn more about this industry, what can I, what can I learn by making those connections? And so the more people you talk to and the more people that are involved in the conversation. And, and then you take, like, if you're a doctor in, um, inner city Chicago versus a doctor in Phoenix versus a doctor in France versus a doctor in Zimbabwe, they're all going to have different experiences because they have different patients and different patient experiences. But the beauty is like technology brings it all together. So you can have that conversation with what you've learned in Phoenix with a doctor in Zimbabwe and save somebody's life there. Um, and so it's like, I, that's where I have a hard time when people are, you know, it's technology is tech. Everything's tech. Everything's tech. And um, everything's people. And so it's just having those conversations to figure out where those connections are and synthesize all that information. And that's how we thrive. Like, and my goal would be, it's not just Phoenix, it's the world, but I'm just like this, you know, Pollyanna who thinks that can happen. When I was at Berkeley, there was a wonderful poster as you walked into the locker room area of the student uh, rec center, the gym, and it said, start where you are, but don't stay where you are. Of course, they were talking about your fitness, but I think that's a great metaphor for what you're trying to build here. Start where you are. We're here in the Valley today. Uh, mm -hmm. But don't stay where you are. The world yeah. uh, is uh, ripe for innovation. It's hungry. It's eager for it. And one of the best places to get involved with that is to show up to PHX Startup Week. You can go to phxstartupweek.com to get tickets, get all the information, connect with the organizers. Amber Peachin, Reed Markell are partners in Amplitude Media and members of the organizing team for PHX Startup Week. Thank you so much for coming into the studio today, sharing a bit about your world and your vision for the future. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. This is Dr. Adrian McIntyre. We'll see you next time on Valley Business Radio. Mm -hmm.